0: But I want to continue with our, our focus as we do, certainly this show does during Veterans Week, on remembrance stories. And that's where we are going to start this afternoon. Today is Indigenous Veterans Day, when Canada honours First Nation, Métis, Inuit soldiers and veterans and their long-distinguished legacy of serving in the Canadian Armed Forces. Now, Veterans Affairs Canada says many, as many as 12,000 First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people served in the great wars of the 20th century with as many as 500 paying the ultimate sacrifice. But you know what? Canada has not been all that kind to Indigenous service members and veterans. They had to fight to get the recognition and commemoration that they deserved. Now listen to this. Indigenous veterans were not allowed to share a toast in honour of lost comrades with fellow veterans in a Royal Canadian Legion until 1951. Indigenous veterans and families were not authorized to lay wreaths or have their own formed guards at the National War Memorial in Ottawa on Remembrance Day until the late mid 1990s and many who served in the Great Wars also came home to find their status had been lost our first guest this afternoon has been internationally recognized as one of the top researchers of indigenous military history dr. Scott Sheffield from the University of the Fraser Valley joins us today dr. Sheffield welcome to the show
1: Hi there, Jill, and nice to uh, hear from you, and thanks for uh, having me on.
0: Yeah, how did you get interested in Indigenous military history?
1: Uh, it's an interesting question. I, I actually came to the topic uh, during my graduate work. I wanted to do a master's thesis, and when you go to grad school, you start looking for niches that people haven't paid attention to. Mm. And the story of Indigenous military service fell between the cracks in, in academic scholarship between those who studied military history and those who studied the history of Indigenous peoples. And they tended to be very different kinds of historians. They didn't read each other's work. They didn't cohabitate in a room. <laughs> and, and so the subject was kind of lost a little bit uh, and, and fell off the radar of, of Canadian history.
0: Well, besides your work, is it still off the radar, do you believe?
1: You know what? It's, the situation has profoundly changed, actually, since the 1990s. Um, I, I mean, I first started in the early 90s, but the efforts of Indigenous veterans in Canada led to uh, a, a Senate report on the on their treatment of Indigenous veterans. The Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, a huge report that was published in 1996, had a whole chapter on veterans. Uh, I was involved in 1999, 2000, 2001 on the National Roundtable on First Nations Veterans Issues, which led, uh, based on the report from that, in 2003 to an apology official apology and offer of compensation from the federal government for status Indian veterans or First Nations veterans Uh, and just recently the federal government's announced a similar apology and and effort to recompense Métis veterans as well for inadequacies in the handling of their benefits.
0: It is something though on the length of time it's taken to get to that point.
1: It, it is. It is, and and in many ways, their service really was forgotten, mm-hmm. and and probably would remain so had not they, you know, veterans themselves led the charge to to say, hey, we stood up, we served. And our sacrifice deserves recognition, and our grievances deserve to be acknowledged and addressed.
0: I mean, going as far back as 1812, uh, the War of 1812, then World War One, the Second World War, the Korean War, of course, uh, you know, in in modern day conflicts as well. We have the Canadian Rangers. I was uh, lucky enough to spend some time with with some of them uh, up north a, a couple of years ago. It it really has changed, and, and right now, I think uh, I think there's a lot of Canadians um, out there who are still learning, number one, about um, the, the deep commitment to service of our Indigenous veterans, number one. But number two, when we talk about uh, the treatment of them uh, in, 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 in the years afterwards, uh, again, this is um, a, a, a maybe a bit of an awakening, awakening for a lot of Canadians. And I see it as, you know, a part of the reconciliation as we move forward and continue to learn more.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt that the, the broader agenda around reconciliation has added an immense amount of, of awareness to to not just the issues around residential schools, but more broadly, the relationship between the Canadian government, Canadians, and, and Indigenous peoples. And veterans and their stories have been very much... Part of that, I think you're right. I think there is an awakening that's going on since, since the discoveries of the Camelot's residential school last summer. And, uh, and so the veterans issue, which I think has been gaining some traction, is continuing now to, to find people just learning about it. And, and this is, I think, really, really important, you know, uh, that, that Indigenous people are now included in national and local acts of remembrance and commemoration. Uh, that Indigenous people are conducting their own acts of remembrance, their own ceremonies. In many cases, I will be uh, attending the, the Stalo uh, Coast Salish Ceremony in, in uh, Chilliwack, uh, Kokolitsa, on, on Friday morning, uh, in which they've been hosting since the early 1990s. So there, is, there are steps going coming, but I think you're right. I think a lot of Canadians are only lately learning more about this.
0: Uh, dr. Sheffield when we talk I, I'd like to touch on um, you know maybe a couple of stories I mean we've we've touched on on some you know we haven't got to the story part of it and 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 I and I and I think that that is an important aspect of it the show it talks about you know interesting stories interesting people and and certainly I mean we we certainly saw numerous um, decorations for indigenous um, veterans during World War One, World War 2 I've had people text in say Jay can you do something on the code talkers and I was like oh there's there's a lot of fascination out there but there's not a lot of knowledge you're the guy with the knowledge can you share a, a couple of uh, the stories that you have found of, of most interest over the years. Sure.
1: Um, well I can start with the code talkers. This is just more recent development uh, in the use of indigenous languages to provide military codes and secure communications was not actually something that was undertaken by the Canadian Armed Forces mm. in the Second World War. It was more heavily explored in the United States, particularly by the Marine Corps and the Navajo. Code talkers are the most uh, well-documented and largest such undertaking. Uh, here in Canada, we didn't actually institute any kind of official code-talking units or programs, but Canadian Cree members of the Canadian Air Forces who were stationed in England in 1942 were actually seconded to the U.S. Air Force. And they conducted a, a pilot program to, to explore the use of Cree uh, in mm. producing and providing secure communications for the U.S. Air Force for about eight months. Uh, and then the U.S. Air Force decided that they didn't want to pursue the program further. So the co talking uh, component is really quite a remarkable story, um, in particular because, of course, through residential schooling and, and Canadian government policies, it had been doing, you know, the state had been doing everything it could to eliminate those languages. And then in the context of the Second World War and national security, all of a sudden, Canada, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, these settler states all suddenly came calling for Indigenous knowledge, Indigenous language to help to defend the country. Uh, And so there was kind of a bitter irony in some of that. Uh, I think that's one really interesting story. I think another uh, is one of the most famous um, First Nations soldiers, uh, particularly from the First World War, and this is Francis Pegamagabo, who was an Anishinaabe uh, soldier from uh, Perry Sound, Ontario, and uh, he became a sniper in the First World War. That was something to which a lot of Indigenous men were assigned, even though it was a very dangerous role, in part because of racial stereotypes that, that, you know, a lot of Canadian military officers assumed that if you were Indigenous, you knew how to shoot straight and you were pretty sneaky in the woods. And so they got assigned to dangerous sniping roles, and some of them proved highly successful. Henry Norwest was a highly regarded Métis sniper. Uh, who amassed, I think, 117 kills. Wow. And Francis Pegamagabo was maybe the single most deadly person in the First World War. Uh, his unofficial kill total was somewhere in the order of 376, I think, or 78, something like that. Quite an extraordinary figure. Um, and, and he was, you know... Awarded the military medal with two bars, which is essentially like winning it three times for his courage in the First World War. It's really quite extraordinary. Only a a handful of other Canadian soldiers achieved that level of recognition. And he returned home to his community and became a a leader in his community by the interwar years. Uh, He's really a a well-remembered figure in that region and, and nationally now there's a recent uh, biography been produced of his his life and his military service
0: dr sheffield before i let you go this afternoon and i could talk to you all day on, on this because i'm fascinated uh, by it but i'm i know you're a historian but when we look at the current situation of the canadian military and um and uh, the, the indigenous members who serve now is it better um Are you hearing from folks that believe that things are better now in the Canadian Armed Forces for um, the Indigenous population who want to serve? Yeah, I
1: I think it is. I think, um, in fact, the, the time in the service for Indigenous soldiers in the World Wars, they all recalled as the one and only time in their life when they were... You know, met and respected uh, and accepted as equals hmm. based on their abilities. So the time in the service was generally good. It was more when they got home that yeah. things reverted back to the unfortunate normal of, of Canadian society. Uh, in more recent years, I think the, the Armed Forces has really tried to take steps to make the military a more, you know, um, plausible career path for them to, to ease some of the cultural barriers. Uh, that uh, sometimes prevent young Indigenous men and women from, from enlisting to serve. Uh, so there's a number of different specialized programs for um, familiarizing young Indigenous men and women with what a military career looks like, what kind of opportunities there are. They can go through some elements of training and that sort of thing. Uh, I think, the generally speaking, the relationship is, has been improving over the last two decades. I think now the number, the percentage of Indigenous, uh, self-identifying Indigenous personnel is getting close to the national average of Mm. population which is about four and a half to five percent uh we're not quite there yet but it's a much better circumstance than than 20 25 years ago um i think unfortunately we're still trying to play catch up with indigenous veterans however even modern day veterans uh still are falling through too many of the cracks in the systems and programs that are set up for uh, veterans today in canada Uh, a lot of those aren't well suited or don't uh, to reserve life they, they don't come to the veteran they mm-hmm. expect the veteran to mm-hmm. come to the to the uh, armed forces and to the veterans affairs um, service centers and a lot of indigenous veterans aren't comfortable doing that or don't know about it and so they lose out on on the opportunities and the support that they deserve and uh, you know should be coming to them and so i think there's efforts underway to try and ad- address that uh I, I actually was called to To speak to uh, the Standing House Committee on Veterans Affairs in 2018-2019. They produced a report on contemporary Indigenous veterans that had a whole host of recommendations to hopefully provide more secure uh, and more you know pervasive assistance and support to Indigenous veterans going forward.
0: Lots of work still to be done. Dr. Sheffield we'll have to leave it there this afternoon. I look forward to uh, having a conversation with you again in the future. Thank you for for your for your insight and your knowledge and your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Take care. Dr. Scott Sheffield joining us this afternoon on Indigenous Veterans Day.